Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. And the next speaker uh, will be Delton Chen from the Center for Regenerative Community Solutions uh, on the Economic Biomimicry of Pricing Carbon. Okay, well, uh, hello, everybody. My name's Delton Chen. Um, I am a lead developer of a policy called Global 4C. It's a community-based project which started in 2013. 4C stands for Complementary Currencies for Climate Change. So the topic is the biomimicry of pricing carbon. And uh, uh, I'll just jump into some of the key conclusions because I'm not going to use this opportunity to explain the policy. I want to focus in on the thermodynamic analysis of carbon pricing, which is very unique to this project. One of the outcomes of it, though, is that we have a new global climate mitigation policy based on a parallel currency, which is also a financial reward for mitigation. And um, from the thermodynamic analysis, we arrive, or arrived at a, a general system theory for living organisms and economies. But this, take this as a hypothesis, okay, as should be in, in science. There is only preliminary validation, although hopefully it will be fully validated. Um, this uh, theory, call it, it, it resolves what we might call the carbon paradox of neoclassical economics. And there are many paradoxes actually in the economy around carbon. One way to understand this policy is that it's a, in fact, it's a public risk insurance against catastrophic climate change. So it offers uh, risk insurance and a roadmap to a low carbon transformation, but nobody pays for the insurance. In this policy, it's paid for by monetary policy using quantitative easing and currency trading. Um, by way of background, we need to talk about climate uh, change and how hot will it get. So currently, with the emissions that have accumulated in the atmosphere, we have already locked in nearly one and a half degrees Celsius of warming this century. Paris Agreement is to stay below two degrees and ideally one and a half. But um, that's very unlikely to happen because, because of um, the inertia of the economy, based on current trends and nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement, we are heading towards uh, somewhere between 2.7 and 3.5 degrees Celsius of warming in about 100 years. The consequences are stark. Everybody may be aware that coral reefs uh, die from coral bleaching. After two degrees of warming, we'd expect most of the coral reefs of the world to perish, more or less, or they won't be the same. Uh, carbon sink on land will become weak at two and a half. Millions of people will be flooded from sea level rise and, and rainfall. High extinction rates and mass food shortages, it's to be expected. Um, one point on this graph I didn't explain, this is a 90% confidence interval for warming based on global trends. Now, uh, that's all bad news, obviously. It gets worse, actually, because um, <laughs> uh, this gentleman here, Professor Tim Garrett, he um, was the first person to model the world economy, world economy thermodynamically as a heat engine. I would have thought this would have been done decades ago, but he did it properly with an analysis. And from his model, he determined that our civilization has no limits. In fact, his expectation is that our civilization will emit so much greenhouse gas emissions will collapse. That there is no limit because of the structures and the relationships and the systems within our civilization as a biophysical organism, superorganism. Now, um, this differs radically from neoclassical economics, which says that we can park ourselves anywhere here, it just depends on our policy. So, uh, William Nordhaus, who's a well-known, well-respected economist, his um, model uh, estimates that three and a half degrees Celsius of warming is the optimum if we balance costs with benefits under his dice model. It's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> really, that's important to understand because it says that the cost of decarbonisation is very high because we are dependent on fossil fuels, 86%. 
Now, this model, uh, the new theory, which is the Global 4C uh, model, it offers an alternative to uh, Tim Garrett's solution. So what he didn't do is he didn't understand that uh, we can restructure the economy with a parallel currency and a parallel economy. And I'm going to explain why this is a biophysical solution. I don't know what bounds this new solution could take us to. I'm hoping that it keeps us close to two, but it might be somewhere in this range to be kind of realistic. Now, this uh, theory is very fundamental because it goes right to the heart of the costing model for carbon, which is called the external costs. So this is conventional economics called neoclassical. The way it's always been is that uh, if this is the emissions trajectory of an actor, uh, that's their pollution, E, emissions. So we tax them, theoretically, to the social cost of carbon multiplied by the emissions. That's when the tax is optimal. The, the economists have always said that the rewards generally are inefficient, so they don't like them, and they don't talk about rewards very much, subsidies, whatever you want to call it. But what they have not done is they haven't explained what the, the rewards are for, in the sense that if we offer a reward for mitigation, are we internalising the social cost of carbon or something else? And that hasn't been addressed. And uh, the result of this work is that biophysical economics can tell us what it is, and what it is actually is the risk cost of carbon which is missing. So the risk cost of carbon is the off-balance sheet costs uh, that are needed to pay for uh, restructuring the system. And those off-balance sheet costs cannot be seen in conventional cost-benefit analysis because it's to do with the relationships in a system. Now, uh, this is uh, fundamentally important, and I can't overemphasize the implications of this philosophically and scientifically, because if it's true, um, we can then say that there are two costs. One is a biophysical perspective, the other is neoclassical. And neoclassical is cost-benefit, but this is using cost-effectiveness analysis, and the objective ultimately is to improve economic efficiency. But with this approach, it's to improve certainty. Okay, so these are actually complementary to each other, uh, both in terms of the economics and the purpose and, and the instruments. So I'm going to try and explain why the risk cost exists and, and what it means biophysically. So uh, to do that we need to go back to the fundamentals of um, thermodynamics, the laws of the universe, how the universe actually works. And number one here is uh, Tim again with his a result that money, the purchasing power of money actually causally and statistically correlated to primary energy in the economy. So he can actually, over time, say that one US dollar is equivalent to 0.97 milli, 9.7 milliwatts of primary power. And, and that's true for the world economy. The first law of thermodynamics simply says mass and energy is conserved. It's a symmetric law. The, the second law of thermodynamics is the entropy law. We all probably have heard of it, entropy is increasing, and this is a, asymmetric. It's asymmetric because um, entropy only increases and that's how we get the sensational experience of time moving in one direction. Uh, complementarity comes from Niels Bohr. This is uh, early uh, 20th century when physicists resolved the, the quantum paradox of particles and waves and the principle of correspondence, I'll talk about that a bit later. So applying these laws and principles, we can take the carbon tax and if you treat it as a network diagram, you have the government in the middle, the authority. These are the emitters, the polluters. We have um, the tax agency going in black arrow, and then the money comes back to the government. If we apply the first law of thermodynamics, we reflect it, and then we get a carbon reward. That's simple. We just pay for mitigation instead of taxing for polluting. And one thing we need to understand, that our economy is set with fiat money, which has virtual units of account. So when we use second law, or the, sorry, the principle of complementarity, 
there's a translation in this direction which gives us a new instrument, a new unit of account. So the unit of account of the tax is, uh, say, a ton of carbon pollution dis services. So a new unit of account is carbon mitigation services. So it's service money. The second law of thermodynamics does the other translation. And uh, this is where we get some very interesting results. So um, this isn't easy to do. It took me a long time to figure this out. But the relationships in the tax, uh, just very quickly, the, the micro-foundational principle for human decision-making is the risk-reward trade-off. So when you flip it asymmetrically, uh, we get a new objective of managing risk. Then the objective here is uh, improving efficiency, and so the micro-foundational relationship here is uh, an inefficiency reward trade-off. So we do an inefficiency reward trade-off to manage risk, and that, that actually explains uh, what I showed you earlier with the risk cost of carbon. Now this is a very interesting diagram, this is in a publication, which you can read all about it, but uh, when you introduce a currency you have to have supply and demand. So this network here um, is a decentralising network that offers the rewards to everybody in the world to do some mitigation of any kind. It's a full spectrum mitigation. Any sector of the economy, any activity, that you can set a baseline uh, and do a statistical analysis for mitigated amounts. You can reward them with parallel currency. And down here, this is a peer-to-peer -peer fully networked um, currency market, world currency market. So we have our currency in their trading. And the black dots represent central banks who are running a protocol to raise the value of this currency and create a bull market. And that's a negative feedback on, um, in the economy, macroeconomically. And this is where we do our risk assessments. So every year a risk assessment is done of the whole system. Anything you want to do a risk assessment on, you do it. And that's what we use to price the currency for the next 100 years in a rolling 100-year time planning horizon. So that's that in a nutshell. I'm not really explaining it properly because there's a time limit. Five minutes? Oh, good. I think I'm going to make it. So um, I wanted to show you this diagram because this will give you a feeling about how this manages growth. If you, if you can accept the idea that uh, growth on aggregate is proportional, that's economic growth, is proportional to primary energy consumption. This has been set down by uh, Timothy Garrett. So in this parallel economy, what happens is the world economy here in this brown area is receiving 86% uh, of its energy from fossil fuels, and then the rest is other stuff, uh, some of which is renewable. So this is a simplistic diagram. So what happens is that uh, under a protocol, the central bank trades currencies, and it sends purchasing power from fiat money of all national economies into our parallel currency, and that finances all the mitigation work we need. Now, the risk assessment determines the exchange rate, so this is a negative feedback. It's a feedback loop. What will happen over time is that this system will respond to the risk and it will globally deleverage value out of the world economy into our parallel economy and that's how we manage growth. It also manages the other paradox, Chevron's paradox. Now, uh, this is really what I wanted to show you today because this is something I wouldn't just show anybody. It's, um, it's a really radical concept and, and personally uh, and professionally I think this is correct. <coughs> and that is that this system here logically is derived from the carbon tax and the laws of thermodynamics. And what it shows is that um, it's essentially the same logic you see in living plants, seeding trees, uh, which are a product of evolution, hundreds of millions of years of evolution. And uh, essentially what's happening, in, in my opinion, is that uh, we're basically converging on the same thermodynamic model. Nature's done it iteratively, and, and we've done it theoretically.
That's why they're so similar. Uh, a tree actually is two markets. It's a supply market of water and minerals, and it's a supply market of sugars because it gets access to photosynthesis, and then it trades with itself because uh, water and nu nutrients goes up the xylem and sugars flow down the phloem. Here we're trading currencies up and down. And the risk assessments in our global economy are providing a homeostasis where seeding DNA does the same thing intergenerationally. Now, um, when we go back to the economy as we understand it today, um, we can divide it up into three contexts. There's services, information and commodities. All the theory and policy around climate change mitigation is based on this model with just fiat money. And that's where we put the main market-based policies in these boxes. And that is essentially the limit of neoclassical economics. Now, if you ask, oh, actually, go on the internet or go to the library, two minutes, okay, um, there is no such thing as service money in the literature. And what that says is the economists uh, have missed a very fundamentally important aspect of money and economics when they don't even have a term for service money, as I've just explained it. But what this is, a general system theory, it places everything into one ontological framework which is holistic and explains effectively the whole system of an economy. Uh, you have three possible types of money and they correspond to different um, economies based on the energy supply. So you can have a biofuel economy which is the first phase of civilization. then we moved into fossil fuel economy and with that we transitioned into fiat money because it suits the growth model of fossil fuels and then this says that we need to transition into a service money for a renewable economy. Now what's um, really quite incredible, remarkable I would say is that this model actually also appears to work very well for all living systems as uh, organisms that have identities. So multicellular organisms map onto it, kingdom plantea, fungia, animalia, and their biomorphology compares directly with these systems. So that's been checked. If you look at the energy sources, they also match organic food, animals and plants, detritus and uh, light energy. And protists will also fit on there as well. And so I'm coming to the end of this presentation, but um, what the preliminary finding is, is that we can classify a neoclassical economy under the system, biophysical economy, which is what I've shown you, multicellular organisms, single-cellular organisms. Molecular scales should also fit in, and also quantum electrodynamics fits into the same model. Now I'm going to wrap up in a, in a minute, just got two slides. Um, so the general system theory for living organisms and economies, is, I, I think it's a major advancement on other models. Uh, for reasons, because um, it provides a, a narrative for a transition to a low carbon economy. It uh, is a pathway to steady risk, a steady risk economy, which uh, really it does address what steady state's looking for and a circular economy, a circular economy for carbon. It doesn't involve a debate over capitalism versus socialism, which I think is an inhibitor. Um, it offers a new monetary system without debt. And uh, it gives us a new relationship to money and provides corollary theory to natural selection. So um, just to conclude, I, I want to mention the paradoxes. The growth paradox, we've heard a lot about it. You will find at all these conferences. This was explained how to resolve it in a conference paper uh, my colleagues and I presented in 2015, and Jevons' paradox, and also uh, the GDP paradox, because we don't need to get rid of GDP. If we have a parallel currency with a new unit of account, the GDP becomes the perfect metric for managing the world economy to decarbonise. So these are the main references that I can give you. Uh, the paper, 
A peer-reviewed publication explains the whole policy in detail and philosophy. And this is a new chapter that's coming out uh, for COP23, which explains the whole policy to central bankers. So this is called Central Banks and Blockchain. We use a blockchain for the new parallel currency and explaining uh, how it resolves these paradoxes and how central bankers can come in to produce a parallel currency. If you want information, you can go to our website. And um, th this is the, the non-profit based in the US, which is the host of the policy. And we get uh, economic advice from this Dutch uh, economics bureau. So currently, we're looking for uh, partners and uh, people who might like to be involved. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.